today I'll be reading Mark 8, 31 to 38. Jesus predicts his death. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns, the way of the cross. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Thank you, Zaria. If you're um, visiting with us today, you um, might probably read or, or, or sort of hear that message and go... Uh, it's a strange kind of a reading and perhaps a strange kind of a message and a theme for, for Christmas, you know. This sort of is really what the Christian calendar would remember around Easter time. Um, and, and why that is, is you've stepped into a, a short series that we're doing over Christmas that, that deals with the, the coming of Jesus, past, future, and some of the really surprising things that we find around the comings of Jesus. And this morning's surprise is quite a unique surprise. You know, last week we, we looked at the birth of Jesus and the surprising elements of that. We, 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 one of the things I said, I started the message by saying, I did a C.S. Lewis quote that essentially went something like this. Each year you get older, each bit that you get to know Jesus more, he becomes greater to you. Greater and greater and greater. And so we unpack from, from the Gospel of John, another part of the Bible, just some things about the greatness of Jesus. In fact, just before this little reading that Zaria did for us, one of the people who first come to know who Jesus is, he makes this stunning confession. He, he, Jesus asked him, who am I? And then this person's name is Peter. He said, you are the Christ. It's a bit of a loaded Christian term, but it's a, it's a huge thing that talks about he understood for the first time how great Jesus is, how important a person this person called Jesus Christ really is. Now you... And I, I think, carry some of the same sort of thoughts. Our prayers would be that we and everyone else would understand how great Jesus is. We'd like Jesus to be understood as a great well, God, really, in, in, in politics. 
would like Jesus to be understood as great and his will and his words and his ways when it comes to controversial issues. Christians often do when just to you know, throw a few out, gender theory and all those sorts of things. As a church, we'd like to know that what we're doing through Pathway Shed, that Jesus would be understood to be great in the local community of East Devonport. In your own life, in the lives of your children, in the life of your partner or your spouse, or among your friends at school. We all want to know that Jesus is great and that he's becoming greater and greater and greater to them. And then in that sort of desire, with that hope and expectation, remember this is the same hope and expectation that Peter had, that Jesus will be great and understood to be great comes what Jesus said to his, fo- his followers this morning. I'm going to take you through the passage. I'm not going to do a whole long lot of work on it, but I want you to just feel the surprising thing that happens here. Here's what he said. Thanks, Mike. You can kick me off with that first slide. Jesus began to teach them that he, he's called the son of man there, must suffer many things. He will be rejected. That he must be killed. And after three days, he must rise again. He's referring to his own death. Jesus Christ died roughly 2,000 years ago on a Roman cross, torture instrument. It's not just that it was a death, it is that it was a shameful death. We kind of get the idea of heroic deaths, but but dying on a Roman cross was not a heroic death. It it was Jesus' death, but but not as far as... (laughs) anyone who didn't know, was concerned. It it was an undignifying, shameful, offensive, insulting kind of a a death that Jesus was going to die. And, and, you know, this explains, I think, to us very clearly why, why in verse 32... Peter, one of his followers, he goes, yes, I get this, you're the great Christ, but you're telling me that you're going to die a death on a Roman cross. We, you can see that for this man, Peter, these two things don't get together. This is the word who is God, who was with God. The word through whom all things were made the one who's going to come and establish the reign and rule of God's reality on on earth, the one who's going to come and in the new heavens and the new earth, I said to you in the beginning, going to wipe all tears from your eyes. There's no more death, no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain. This is the greatness of Christ. I've come to die. I've come to die on a Roman cross. 
come to suffer. I've come to die a criminal's death. An undignifying, you think of in our day and age, what, what would be the most undignifying death you can think of in our day? Perhaps a drug lord being murdered. Perhaps, I don't know. Think about the most undignifying, shameful way to die. This is what Peter hears and he, he, he can't hack it. He, he, he simply says to Jesus, <laughs> he rebukes him. It's a reprimand. He's saying, you, you, you can't say this. I think Peter says to him, you can't say that this is going to happen to you firstly because it's inconsistent with what I expect greatness is. Greatness is not that. You surely didn't come for that. I, I get that you're great, but that. It's inconsistent. It doesn't gel. It doesn't sit with what we understand to be great. Not only do I think it's inconsistent for Peter, I think it's unacceptable. I think it's unacceptable because he is a person who gave up everything to follow Jesus, to believe in him. He left everything. <laughs> and he, now he is that where all of that's going to end for him and his choice, the dividend it's going to reap is, is on a cross? I don't think so. I don't think so, he says. It runs very deep for him. <laughs> and I think it explains. It, it explains why he takes Jesus aside. He says, no, this is not greatness. And perhaps at a deeper level, this is unacceptable. This is not what I signed up for. This is not what it should look like. But then Jesus turns. And he looks at all these disciples. These are the 12 people who started to follow him and believe in him and so forth. <laughs> and now he gets stuck into Peter. In vicious language, really. Get behind me, Satan. That's a very... Do you think... I don't know if you know Jesus or have walked with Jesus, but would you, how would you feel, I guess, if, if that's how he treats you, what he says to you? It's a very stern rebuke, isn't it? Get behind me, Satan. You do not have what's on God's mind, but you have what's on your own mind. Satan, by the way, is this spiritual enemy, the spiritual opponent, the, the adversary of God. He's called an opposer. He wants to resist and oppose. Oppose. Everything that God wants to do, seeks to achieve. Spoke about those things last week. Bring light, bring life. Satan is against. And, and I think this is sort of the clue of why Jesus talks to Peter in this way. He, he, he addresses Satan. Often we think that, when we think about Satan, we think about the occult, we think about powerful manifestations perhaps of demons as you might see and, and that's true, it's real, it's there in many places but very often the work of Satan is very simple. It's opposing the will of God. <laughs> Peter, you have no idea what the will of God is with my life and you unwittingly and perhaps in sheer ignorance, don't even understand that you've become a carrier of that which sits exactly in opposition to what the will of God is for my life. You see what Jesus recognises in Peter? You see what he recognises is at work in Peter's motives? 
Peter's thoughts, Peter's heart. A failure to understand what is the will of God in that situation. Which is the cross. <laughs> Peter, you're failing to recognise that the reason I was born is to come and die a death that you're supposed to die. To pay a price that you're supposed to pay. This might be uncomfortable for you if you're new to church. It might be uncomfortable for you if you're new to the Christian faith. It's one of the, perhaps the most difficult thing to accept about Christianity. Is the message that I was created, I was given breath to worship God, to love Him, to make Him the centre of my being, that He is the light and life. And somewhere in that process, each and every single one of us chose no. I'll be the light in my life. I won't put God in the centre, I'll put myself in the centre. It's essentially the the crux of what sin is, is exactly what Peter does. I won't put the will of God in the centre, I'll put myself in the centre. That's sin. And, and because God is holy, and I don't want to delve too deeply into this, and because it's a good thing that God is holy, and he says, I'm never going to accept anything like that. The consequence is death, the consequence is punishment. Jesus comes and says, even though you're guilty of it, I will take your punishment because I want you. I love you. It is you who I seek and I will stop here this at nothing less, God says, than coming in, taking the punishment in your place so that I can have you. That, friends, is the will of God and that, friends, is what defines the greatness of God. Tell me, do you think of God as great in these terms? When you say that God is great, or when you hope that God will be understood as great in our world, in your life, the lives of your family, in our church, is this what we have in mind? Is this what we're praying for? Is it that, Lord, may I understand that you are great because of the cross? That is the symbol of the greatness of God, that he would come to die an undeserved, shameful death for the sake of those whom he loves. When you think of Christmas, is this the tree that you bear in mind? It's a stark contrast, isn't it? A decorated cross. Very confronting. Very challenging, and yet this is, Jesus says, the greatness of God. Can I urge you this morning to consider God as great for this? Not for his morals, not for the fine ethics, not for, you know, I send my kids to a Christian school because I like a good education. Know this, 
This is what he's done for me. This is who he is for me. This is why he's great. Can we, can we see it? Can we be reminded of it? Can we accept it? Can it be what is part of what makes Christmas great? Is in fact Easter. Right? It's important because if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to become a child of his, you have to understand greatness as that. You know why? Because that's what he wants to change you into. (laughs) That's what he wants to make you and your life great in suffering. Right? Let me move on to the second part of the message then. Mike, you can just scroll me over, thank you. The passage goes on. Jesus moves from Peter and his own followers and then he talks to the whole crowd. It's an interesting shift, really, because he says, anyone's welcome. This isn't for select people. This is for everyone. Talks to the whole crowd. He calls them to him and he says to him, I think one of the most stark and demanding or or challenging words, whoever wants to mean by disciple, the disciple means a follower um, of Jesus, but it's more than following. I think it also is very deep into childhood. Whoever wants to be a child of God, here's what he says. Two things, must deny themselves take up their cross and follow me. Anyone who wants to be a child of God will see their lives gradually change into people who will deny themselves, who will take up their cross and who will follow me. Do you want to be a great person? going to be remembered as a great dad, mum, friend. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. This is how God brings greatness. This is how God brings light and life. This is how God puts the world right. It's through the same attitude of Jesus. He says, I will in any given scenario not consider what I want, but I will consider what is the will of God and I will do it. It is not about me. It is about God. Can you say that? Can you say that as you struggle with your marriage? Can you say that as you struggle with your friends at school? Can you say that as you struggle, perhaps in friendships with people in church? Is this the attitude you bring? Is this the attitude you bring to life in general? Is to say, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to look at this thing that I'm facing, this decision, this conversation, these goals that I set for myself and I'm going to say this is not about me. This is about God and about what he wants and I'm prepared to deny myself to let God have what he wants in this situation, usually for the blessing and the love and the benefit of the other person. You see, this runs so against who we are as human beings. This comes so unnatural. This is so not normal. This is so countercultural. And yet, you know and I know 
if you know Jesus, that that and that alone is what brings light and life and hope and glory and love. It's the way of the cross. Yeah, but I don't, I don't deserve that. And he doesn't deserve that. And she doesn't deserve that. It's true. Jesus didn't deserve it either. He's not asking you what you deserve. He's asking us what God deserves. <laughs> He's asking us whether we can do this, whether we can set ourselves aside, whether we can live that life or at least begin to live that life and say, I'm going to look at all of what I do, all of what I involve in, ask myself, what is the will of God here? And in that, will I work with Jesus or really, will I work with Satan? That's, that's sort of the choice. That's what we have here. All right? Now, let me just finish with the last part of the passage. Some of you would ask this, you know, two questions perhaps. Let me talk about the first one. Doesn't that mean that I'll get used or, or abused? I'm careful here. Yes and no. Yes and no. This isn't open license for you to need to go into situations where you clearly are being abused, mistreated, and say, well, you know what? Actually, no, it's not even that. It is never the will of God for someone to be abused. Right? God's will for you is security, safety. And yet at the same time, it does mean at some level that there are situations where we will do stuff and have stuff copied and coming our way that we did not deserve. So I can't be specific. I thought of examples, but I, I, I shied away from it because I, I thought it's unuseful, it's too limiting. I, 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 I'm counselling a family member who's gone through a divorce and, and to say to, to, to this person, you, it's not God's will and taking up your cross in what you need to do here does not involve certain things, but it does involve other things. You don't need to bring yourself into a position where you're manipulated, abused or used. But perhaps what it means to bear your cross is to not speak evil of your ex. Perhaps it is to be courteous, to be loving. Perhaps it is to not go on Facebook and at every opportunity have the rants about just how bad he is and what he's done to me. And maybe that's the cross bearing here, you see? What is the will of God? in this situation? Can I deny myself for the sake of that? That's the rule of thumb. That is how we do it. And then the next question, which doesn't have so much with the details of this, it, it has the, more, the deeper question perhaps is, is this, um, will it be worth it? <laughs> will it be worth it? I mean... This is, a, this, this is my question. So I'm going to give myself up and say, I don't care about what I deserve. I don't care about what I'm entitled to do. I care about what God is entitled to and I will deny myself and give myself up for the sake of the other if I establish that this is the will of God. Is it going to be worth it? Or am I going to live some miserable life? Right? That's the question. <laughs> Am I consigned and condemned to a life of 
unfulfilled needs, dissatisfied, and it's just totally not worth it? That's, that's, that's a real deep question. And I think Jesus knows it, and he answers it. So he gives us this, the last part of the, 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 the text. I, I'll do this quickly. He gives us four reasons. He says... Of course, it's worth it. For whoever wants to save his life, he says, will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and the gospel, for my will, they'll save it. You look to fight for what you deserve in this life, what you're entitled to, you're going to lose your life. You're going to get the very opposite of what you're fighting for. Instead, Jesus flips it around. He says, whoever loses themselves, what they want, what they feel they are owed to, even if that is real and fair, you will lose it. Sorry, you'll gain it. For me and the gospel. For me and the gospel who will save it. Whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Get lost in the logic here. You go, well, how will I save my life? First of all, there's two, there's two implications. Number one, eternally. Jesus isn't saying that you're going to earn your life eternal with him by denying yourself. Faith in him is what will give you eternal life. But if you truly believe in him, your life will start to change. This is how you're going to live life. More and more and more. And this is eventually what will lead you to be with him. But not only just one day... So you go, cool, this is, this is nice, but it means that my 80 years that I have to have left to live here is going to be miserable and one day you know it's going to be better I've got 40 years of miserable self-denying and then it'll be better once it's a new heavens and a new earth after I die I don't think that's what he means here I think in this life already now you're going to taste something of the sweetness of what it means to live a selfless life Yes, in that moment when we're fighting about who should do the dishes. And I feel it's you because I've done it all week. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to do it in that moment. I'm going to hate it. I'm not going to be absolutely joyful. It's going to be a miserable defeat for me in that fight. Isn't it just? I'm not going to be happy. But tomorrow morning when I sit down and pray, when I meet with God, when I sit in his presence, he's going to remind me that, oh, you've had a rough week. I see what was hard for you this week. I'm glad that I was the person who served you yesterday and I didn't clutch out and I didn't make you feel guilty and it wasn't all about me. It was about you and you're going to pray and you know what? You're going to have a sense of life. You're going to have a sense of joy. You're going to have a sense of, ah, oh, man, that is good. That is how I want to love you. What else can I do today or this week that is going to love you and serve you? And so you see, even in this life, if you walk with Jesus, gradually you're going to, you're going to start loving this way of life. It's not a miserable life. In fact, it becomes the best life, the most fulfilled life, the most satisfying life, the happiest life. This is how it works. You will not lose your life. It's what your ego tells you. It's what Satan tells you. It's what the world tells you. It's rubbish. You will have your life and have it to the full. 
And, you know, so the reasons just keep going through there on similar lines, you know. 36, 37, materialism. You know, I've got to have all this stuff. And I'm going to end my life with I have the whole world gained in material possessions and yet I have not managed to deny myself and serve another. I lost my soul. I lost a life with Jesus. How sad. What can anyone gain in exchange for their soul? There's nothing as precious as knowing Jesus, as walking with Jesus. So in that moment, in that fight, in that conflict in yourself, I can't do the will of God. I don't want to want to have the will of God. I want my will, which is more valuable to you. Jesus. <laughs> He's more valuable. There is nothing more valuable I can have or that I can do in that moment. And then lastly, Jesus finishes that off in verse 38. If you're ashamed of me, my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. In other words, if, if bearing a cross, whatever your cross is, you find too shameful, too humbling, because it's not dignifying to you who you think you should be, I'm going to be ashamed of you. The cross was not too shameful for Jesus. Why should it be too shameful for you or for me? Let's take it on. Let's have it. Let's not care about our ego. Let's not care about what others think of us their approval or disapproval. Let's define ourselves by what only one thinks of us, Jesus. Jesus, what do you want here? That is what I'll do, irrespective of what everyone else thinks, even what I think. This is what I'll do. Do this, you're children of God. You'll know life you'll save it, you'll have it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are a shame-accepting, cross-bearing God <laughs> and that you chose to have greatness in that. We confess, I confess, that we are nothing like that. Everything in us screams out against it. And yet, Lord Jesus, you promised to help us. Will you help us? I pray for the various things that go on in the lives of the people here this morning, where cross-bearing is needed, and where it's bitter, and where it's kicked against, because they don't deserve to bear that cross. Will you help them? Will you help me? Will you help us like you helped Peter? who eventually bore the cross, physically, spiritually, in all ways. May we become like that. May we become more like that. May this next year see each person here, a version of ourselves that is more selfless, more self-denying, less caring about what we should have, less caring about wealth materialism, less caring about us, more caring about you. I pray where there's confusion over what your will is in a person's situation, will you give them wisdom? Will you let them discern accurately what it is you want?
and then give them the power to carry it out. Thank you that this is the God who you are, that this is what you came to reveal as greatness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to sing one song and directly after that,